Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. If you got your Bibles, Colossians chapter four. Today we reach the end of our series in the book of Colossians. So what I want to do as you're making your way there is give you a little preview of where we're going to go next week. Next week, we start a brand new series of sermons where we are going to, it's going to carry us all the way up to and through Easter. And the title of the series is going to be the Upside Down Kingdom. And what we're going to be looking at is uh, in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 5, it's a teaching from Jesus, often called the Beatitudes, okay? Uh, this right at the beginning of his very famous Sermon on the Mount. It's a very important and powerful message because in there, man, in there, Jesus lays out the outcomes in life that we all want. He's going to talk about how to find security in the face of death, a sense of eternal security. So we'll talk about grief um, and how we have comfort in the face of grief, how we find love, uh, both loving someone else and being loved by others. We want justice and mercy. He's going to talk about that. We want a sense of purpose to give our lives to. And Jesus calls all of that security, comfort, purpose, love, justice, mercy. The one who has that has the blessed life. And it's not surprising that Jesus, who had a hand in making us, tells us then how to find that. But the reason we'll spend so much time in it, it's actually a very short passage of scripture, but the reason we'll spend so much time in there is because as he lays it out, what we'll see is that his way to the blessed life is the exact opposite of the way the world tells us to find the hashtag blessed life, right? Thus our theme, the upside down kingdom. This isn't like my take on stranger things or something like that, okay? For those of you that know the, it's not that. Um, instead, it's just saying, man, the way the world tells us to find the blessed life the rat race for money, power, and romance, it actually doesn't lead to blessing. It leads to more emptiness and a need for more of that to try and temporarily satisfy us. But Jesus says, no, there is a way to the blessed life. But it's the exact opposite of the way the world tells you to live. The way up is actually down. Uh, it's going to be a great series. Uh, one thing, the reason I'm giving you a little preview is, man, I think it's going to be a great series to invite your friends to. This is going to feel like Jesus's version of the Proverbs, okay? He's going to deal with the realities of life. Each sermon's going to go over a text that's only like a sentence or two long, you know? It'd be a great way for you to introduce your friends to Jesus, um, and especially with us setting our eyes on Easter and praying for our lost friends. It's just a whole bunch of good conversation starters as we walk through that. It's in Matthew 5. You can read the whole thing in under a minute, and I'd encourage you to do it and get ready for next week. That's next week. Today, Colossians. I feel like this has been a great series, and if you're new with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. I want to give you the heart of the series again, even here at our last one, and it comes from Colossians 1, 17 through 18. The Apostle Paul, right early in the letter, he says, man, this is what you got to know. This, he's talking about Jesus, and he says, he, Jesus, is before all things. That's why our series has been called Before All Things. By him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead. So that, and we've been talking a lot about this, he might come to have first place in everything. Our aim has been to evaluate our lives by that last phrase, he came to have first place in everything. We've been saying, it's easy in the Bible Belt to put him among all things, right? Tuck him into a little corner of our lives somewhere, a little spiritual corner on our bookshelf that is our life. But he did not come for that. He came to have first place in everything. And the reason a lot of people that walk around with the label of Christian miss the power of Christ is because they've just put him among all things instead of first place before all things. And the sermons, really, one of the things I wanted to bring up again today is that really the purpose, one of the purposes of these sermons is to tee up your 2024 discipleship plan. The goal at the end of the series was to have a practical plan that you could actually take practical steps to put Jesus first in your life. In fact, that book right there at the end has a little like summary of all the steps that you have said, yeah, this is what I'm going to take in 2024. So I hope you'll tear that out, put it on your fridge, put it in your Bible, put it on your forehead, wherever you need to put it so that you're reminded of it regularly. And let's see what God does when we take steps of faith. And today is our last step. We're going to see the Apostle Paul close the letter, and he's going to do so by charging the church, the Colossian church, to join him in God's mission. That's going to be a charge for us today. Sum it up real simple. It's going to be the charge to join God in his mission. Y'all, this is big. Like, will the result of seven weeks of us studying a letter in the New Testament simply be that, well, we gathered and we heard some sermons and sang some songs and prayed a little bit, or... Will each of us actually take up God's call to join him in his mission and what he's doing? And Paul's going to connect a couple of dots that are so, so important. He's going to show them that the honor of knowing the gospel comes with the privilege of sharing the gospel. This is big, guys. The honor of knowing the gospel comes with and brings with it the privilege of sharing the gospel. I want that for us. I want our love for God that I hope you experience as we preach the gospel every week. Man, I want our love for God to be made visible by our commitment to the mission of God, to seeing the world around us encounter the God who saved us. That's where we're going. The outline for today is really simple. It's like two commands that connect them to moving this church, to moving from just observing God's mission and being someone who just sat back and observed what God was doing, move them from that to participants in God's mission, from sitting and watching to actively being involved and taking steps. And the two steps are pretty simple. He's going to call us to pray expectantly and to act wisely. Don't worry, you don't have to write it down yet because it's going to be, I'm going to go over this the whole time. But the question underneath this is, man, when you think about, God, what are you calling me to do with my life? God, what do you have for my life? God, why is all of this happening in my life? What is my role, both in my, just my life and in the church? It's going to start with pray expectantly and act wisely. That's the call. Don't just sit and watch and receive. That's observer mentality, consumer mentality. It's the danger of the church that just gets comfortable sitting, watching, and receiving. No, the power of God comes when we put Jesus first and we engage in the mission he has called us to, joining him in his mission. But we'll see it as we get into it. So we start in verse 2. Everybody ready? Let's go. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. All right. Listen, this verse is so short. I don't know, maybe nothing that blew your mind here, but I'm telling you, if you actually let this, and I'm gonna, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this, this one verse, if you were to obey it, would totally transform your life. It's just one of those verses, man. 
Devote yourself to prayer. We'll hit both sides of this thing. Devote yourself to prayer. This is the first part of one is going to join God's mission is recognizing you got no power to accomplish God's mission. God's the one with the power. How is that power unleashed? Through prayer. So prayer cannot be some afterthought for us. It certainly wasn't for, think about this. It wasn't for Jesus. Like the one who was one with the father still went to be alone with the father. He who was God prayed for strength from God the Father to accomplish the mission that the Father had sent him to carry out. If Jesus did that, how much more should prayer be our first move, our first priority? Some of you have told me how you want God to move in your children. You pray and you want, I want God to move in my children. I want God to move in my spouse who's cold towards the gospel right now. I want God to move in my apartment community, in my workplace, in my dorm, with my friends. And the question that I have back is not, I mean, look at this text. It's not, have you prayed about it? The question is, are you devoting yourself to prayer? That's two very different things. One is a momentary reaction. The other is a lifestyle. All right, we're, we're in mid-February. Think about it like the gym, okay? In January, like January 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, you had people who went to the gym as a reaction to the way they ate from Thanksgiving on, right? And so they're in the gym. That's a reaction. Well, now, mid-February, the only ones left are the people who devote themselves to working out as a way of life. Now, at the end of the year, if you put the two of them beside each other and you walk up and you say, did you work out this year? Both of them can say, yes. But one will look very different than the other. I think we both agree, right? Listen, the same could be true for you in your prayer life. There's a difference between praying sometime about something in a reactionary moment and devoting yourself to prayer. And here's why this matters. A devoted prayer life is the way you keep Jesus before all things, even before the thing that you're praying about. See, through prayer, you keep him in your heart and mind where he is in the cosmos first before all things. And what happens is in that devotion to prayer, you're going to discover a deep, fulfilling relationship with God that you're created for. And the result will be, hear me, this is so important. God's answer to your prayer will not determine your faith in him. This is massively important, guys. Some of you, I know you're devoting yourself to prayer and God hasn't answered something you're praying about. The scriptures are filled with such stories. The only way to keep that thing that you're praying for from becoming what your heart worships is to keep it before the Lord. Because in prayer, we acknowledge he is enough. He is good. Whether he says yes or no, he is sufficient for me. That doesn't come, that kind of certainty, that kind of depth with God doesn't come through a momentary reaction where you say, I prayed that one time about it, but through a devotion to prayer. And I'm under real conviction with all God is doing among us as a church, we must be a church where prayer is not reactionary, but it's a part of who we are. And his next words are critical to this. I, I love it. He says, stay alert, devote yourselves to prayer, but don't do it just in boring routine. Be ready, stay alert in it. By the time Paul's writing this letter, man, he accomplished a lot in ministry terms. And yet he's always looking for what God's doing next. He's on the lookout. The way my pastor used to tell us, um, he said, man, when we experience a move of God, we should pause, celebrate it, be thankful, yes, 
but stay alert. In other words, don't put a period where God has put a comma. The wrong interpretation of seeing God move is to think, well, God moved and he's done. No, instead, seeing God move should create alertness, expectancy that he's going to move again. If we want to be a people who see God move, who move from observers and to ones who are actively participating in God's mission, you got to get this first. Participants in God's mission pray expectantly. I told you there's two points today. That's the first one. We pray expectantly. And here at this church, what I hope you experience is that we expect God to hear our prayers and respond. We believe God's power is unleashed through the prayers of his people. It's one of our five ministry values. We expect God to change a life today. Nothing like special about us and our words there. It's just trusting a faithful God. You look at the book of Acts, the church prays, the walls shake, the church prays, God saves people. When God's people pray, they should do so expectantly, like anticipating what's God going to do. Now for us, I think about how critical this is for Mercy Church. You've heard me say this for somewhere between about nine months now. Um, we got to pick up this call. We are eight years old as a church. Now listen, eight years ago, launch day, man, it was the coolest day ever. We had 60 people. They were on this launch team together. Look at this ragtag group of people right there. I had like four kids under five, so I don't remember it, but I know that it happened, okay? Um, I'm confident that I've got evidence right there, right? Um, but man, those 60 folks, they had been praying, dreaming, planning, preparing, and every last one of them had total ownership in the mission. All 60 were members. All 60 had, a, 60 had a ministry team they served with. All 60 were tithing. Everybody all in. And on launch day, man, a whole bunch of people showed up. It was awesome. Baptized three folks. We were riding high. We had a cookout at the end of the day where we all signed a poster with our original logo on it. It still hangs in our offices today. You can take that picture down. I want to keep looking at it. Um, but here's the thing. We only asked that launch team for, we asked them for a two-year commitment to help get us started. Most of those folks are not here at Mercy anymore. Many were young professionals or college graduates, and they were just coming to get a job, and they've moved on to different cities. Life has moved many people on. But before I make a point about, how, uh, about all this, I do know there are a few left that I think we should thank for their uh, expectant faith all these years. So in a second, I want to ask you, if you're a launch team member of Mercy Church, to stand up. But first, the point is, we're now three campuses, seven services. We may not have in the room that you're sitting in anyone standing up. That's my point. It's not like a disappointment if that didn't happen. That's actually the point, okay? Um, but whether you do or don't see somebody, I do want to take a moment and just thank God for the faithfulness of those first few. So if you were on the Mercy Launch team, I didn't prep them for this, so we'll just kind of see what happens, okay? Um, would you stand up at this time at each one of our campuses? And would you, all right, Mercy Church, you thank God. For these folks? Yeah. All right. Here's the thing. The time has come for you now to join them. Because since that day in 2015, God has sent literally hundreds of thousands of people to the Charlotte, greater Charlotte area. People who need to hear the gospel. And he's put you right there among them. And eight years from now, when I do the same thing and say, how many were you, how many of you were a part 
of that group that took up the mantle of faith and prayed expectantly in 2024, I want you to be able to stand up and say, yeah, that was me. When I think about all God did through 60 who prayed expectantly, can you imagine what he might do with a thousand people that are all in together for the mission of God? I want to be a part of that. And by the way, one of our um, staff members, Blake, when I was saying this, uh, we're kind of going over it on Wednesday, he sent me a calendar invite for this day, February 2032, so that I could have that ready. I'll make sure to send it to all of you that, that want it. But I love that. Like eight years from today, I'll see you there and we'll celebrate what God has done. My point in all of this is to pray expectantly that God has not put a period on his work in your life, in our church's life. He is working. And he finishes says, and pray with thanksgiving. Why? <laughs> because we know it's only the grace of God that saved us. It's only the grace of God that sustains us. It's only the grace of God that he would invite and use sinners like us in his plan. So what could we be but thankful? He keeps going. And he does so, he invites them to pray for the assignment God has given him, which is also the assignment God gives the church. Check this out. It's verses three and four. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Now, this gives us clarity. I told you, pray expectantly. All right, this gives us a little clarity for what to pray for. Paul prays for new gospel opportunities, and so should we. When you pray expectantly, pray for new gospel opportunities. Pray that God would open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Man, the prayer here, you catch Paul's tone, and it's like, he wants to be used by God to help people come to know Jesus. And y'all, sometimes I'll just be like candid. Maybe this is just me being a little transparent here. Sometimes when it comes to me thinking about sharing the gospel with a lost friend, family, or something like that, I get a little bit like, well, uh, how about this, God? And I start making deals. And I'm like, if you give me a sign that's very clear, and then two more after that, even more clear, that I should share the gospel with this person okay, I will think about praying about that, right? Like I got all these like caveats because I don't want, look at Paul. Paul's over here. He seems like a guy that is just banging on doors and looking for more doors. And it's like, would you pray that God, God, will you open one of these doors? Because I can't help. I want to tell people about what you did for me. They need to know the hope of the gospel that I have. Man, would that be us? Despite everything Paul had done, in his ministry, he just, he wasn't done because God wasn't done. That's the spirit of what we're after here as a church. We're not, and it's important to me that you hear this. Not like we're just out here trying to grow a big church. We are trying to reach the one. Jesus said there was more joy in heaven over one that repents than 99 already who belonged to him, which meant for Paul, as long as he had breath in his body, he would keep going for the lost one. That's what we're after. We want to love what God loves and God loves people. He loves the one lost sheep. And we're devoting ourselves to praying for and reaching out to that one. It's why we're so committed to sending our best out to plant churches that will reach more people in more communities. Because it's not about us. In fact, it hurts, y'all. It hurts to send out our best and plant churches, right? Like in 2022, when we sent our student pastor, Alan, to go plant a church, that hurt. Man, Alan, Melinda, some of our best, the people that we sent with them, some of our best, it hurts. 
And when we send Joseph and Kaylin to Atlanta to plant later this year, man, that hurts. They're pillars in our church family. I'm, I'm asking and asking you guys to pray about going with them. That'll hurt if you go, right? Financially, it hurts because church plants are like teenagers. They keep calling and asking for money all the time. <laughs> and they're confused. They don't know what's going on. They need help just coaching them through stuff. Like, but it's worth it because of the one lost sheep. And I never, ever bring my phone to preach, but I had to share this with you. This is at 8.07 this morning. This is from Pastor Allen. Good morning, brother. Now he's six, seven hours ahead of us. Good morning, brother. Praying for you as you serve the Lord through equipping and shepherding his people. This morning, we had three except salvation. The Lord is still in the business of saving and sustaining. Praise God. Yeah, let's stop. Praise break kind of moment right there. Praise God. Sending is worth it. It's worth it because of the one lost sheep, because of new gospel opportunities. And at the same time, we here have to faithfully reach the people God's bringing here. How can we send churches out to do it and not lead the charge ourselves? And we don't operate around here on a, if you build it, they'll come mentality, but we operate on, if they're coming, man, facilitate it. How could we not? Praying for new gospel opportunities means planting churches, increasing our own capacity as a church. And then on a personal level, it means you and I praying expectantly for gospel opportunities with our lost friends and family. Brings me to an action step today that it will carry us through the season of Lent. Now, when I say the season of Lent, um, we got people from all different backgrounds in our church. Some of y'all are like, ooh, I know what that is. This is great. Others of you are like, that's that stuff in the belly button that's gross. You know, all different. So let me set us on the right trajectory here, okay? Lent, um, Latin word, 40-day period set aside in church history, uh, the 40 days leading up to Easter for the church to fast and pray in anticipation of Easter. And it's 40 days to kind of mimic Jesus's 40 days in the wilderness, okay? Um, So during Lent, which started this past Sunday, we want to commit ourselves to praying and fasting. And our prayers this year are going to be directed towards the lost one for God to open a door to us for the word. So you should have gotten a card um, in your seat that looks kind of like this. If everybody, all three campuses, pull this out. This is a little action step moment. This comes from a training program here at Mercy Church called Disciple Making Teams. I think this is the best training we have in learning how to share your faith, by the way. So I would encourage you to get into one of those. But they use this card and they call this card Little Blue because it is little and it is blue. Okay. And it's like a little prayer card that if you look on the, you see, it's got some helpful kind of training and accountability steps built into it. On the back side, you'll see there's a big blank where you write the name of the folks that God has put in your life who are far from him, but close to you, as I like to say around here, who is lost, doesn't know Jesus, but they know you. And maybe you're going to be the one that introduces, introduces them to Jesus. So here's the deal. I want you to write down names of one or more folks that you're going to be praying for. Stick this card in your Bible, and we're going to pray over that one every day from now till Easter. And we're going to plan on inviting that one to Easter. Again, instructions are on there. There's a little legend on the back, but it's just to help inform your prayers. The the real point is just pray, okay? Now, the cool thing is for those of you in community groups, which is a large percentage of you, Um, today your community group leader is going to pick up something called Big Blue because it is big and it is blue, okay? It's not complicated around here. Um, 
they, what's going to happen is they're going to have that at community group this week, and y'all are going to all write down each one of your names together on that one uh, bigger blue, and you're going to pray over that at every community group gathering between now and Easter. And y'all, I want to pray expectantly that God would open an opportunity for the word. I mean, what if, y'all think about this. What if every person sitting in Mercy's worship service today, the, the point of this is to think of God's mission as your mission, like that he's put you on. And we do that together. Man, here's what might mess with some of you. The reason some of you are here this morning is because the person beside you has been praying that way for you. They may not have had a little blue card or whatever. They might be trying to write your name like over on the side where you can't see them right now. But they've been praying for you. Praise God. Like if (laughs) I was thinking this morning about the number of people that had my name before God, like my mom, like my student ministry leader when I was a punk 13-year-old who was relentless though and took me to student camp. I think about Chuck Barrier and Chris Beam and some of these guys that invested so much to my life in college when they were juniors and I was a freshman trying to figure out whether I was going to actually believe this thing or not. Man, God used their expectant faith, their prayers to bring me to saving faith. It's time for you to join in on that kind of prayer team. We got, it's pretty cool. We got baptisms happening today at our Northeast campus. And then our next baptisms are on Easter Sunday. And I'm praying the Lord answers our prayers as we take steps to pray expectantly. What might God do? Would we believe on him? We'll come back to that at the end. Not only does Paul call them to pray, he calls them to act. Look at our last two verses for today. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. And what does he mean, this act wisely? After we prayed, Paul's reminding us, our time is just far more valuable and limited than we usually function like on our day in, day out. Paul's calling them and us to the kind of wisdom that prioritizes our time. Reminds me of Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days carefully that we might develop wisdom in our hearts. See this connection between understanding how brief our time is and wisdom. This is the kind of wisdom that prioritizes what God cares about, that puts Jesus first. I'm not going to go into this a whole lot right now, but I mean, you realize how brief your time on earth is? I'm being hit with it just like a ton of bricks right now because I have teenagers in my house. And the teenage years are the ones where you grow a lot, like really fast. Courtney and I, more than we used to, I've noticed, we just kind of sit around and we look at pictures from when they were little. We're like, oh, we just like hold them in our hands and stuff. And if I go over to my 15-year-old son and be like, hey, bud, let me pick you up and hold you, it ain't going to work, right? We're gonna, it's going to go down. We're going to start wrestling stuff, you know? Um, our days are just brief. In fact, uh, thinking back on the launch day, there's this picture um, from launch day where I'm baptizing someone, and I was sh- showing that to somebody who's newer to Mercy Church, and they said, um, oh, wow, did you used to dye your hair? And I was like, okay, ow, that hurt. Um, no. I used to not be your pastor. You have given me, no. um, no. But it's just a good reminder, like eight years ago, looking a little different. Our days are brief and they are fleeting. Acting wisely means prioritizing what God cares about. And God cares about people. Listen, participants in God's mission, not only do they pray expectantly, but they act wisely by prioritizing God's mission. 
Simply put, it all comes back to putting Jesus first in everything. Not just first in your mind and heart, but in your actions, how you carry yourself in the world. Does he have first place in everything? And by the way, what's the inverse of prioritizing your time? Acting wisely with your time. It would be acting as if eternity doesn't exist. It would be not taking it into account. That's for sure the way the world calls you to act. The world celebrates you building a comfortable, secure life for yourself because in the world's eyes, this is all there is. Acting foolishly towards outsiders would be acting according to their values, wasting your time, talent, and treasures that God has given you to build a kingdom that doesn't last. God says, no, act wisely with your time towards outsiders. Invest in the things of eternity because a Christian has found greater treasure than anything this world has to offer, right? That's Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, in his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. I hope that's us. Prioritizing God's mission, I hope it's a joy for us. This is big for me, what we pull from this letter. We put Jesus first before all things because he is first, before all things, but also because he went first before we did. We were sinners in need of a savior and God in his kindness sent his son. Jesus came for us. He came, he paid for our sins. He went first. Why Hebrews says, man, this verse is always on my heart because of the joy that lay before him. For the joy that lay before Jesus, he endured the cross and despised its shame. The cross was not joy for him. What the cross produced was joy for him. And what was that? It was the salvation of sinners like you and me. So what we, when we have discovered that, what other response could we have than joyfully investing what God has given us into building his kingdom? There's a missionary, 1857, a guy named David Livingstone. He was back home and was asked to, he was a missionary to Africa and he was back home in Britain and was asked to give a lecture at Cambridge. This is a big deal for him and lots of well-educated, affluent people in the crowd. The guy who introduced him talked about how he sacrificed everything to go. And Livingston takes the podium and basically says, no, nah, I never sacrificed. And listen to what he says. I'm going to read you a little bit from his speech. He says, for my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Other men counted an honor to represent an earthly sovereign. It is my privilege to offer my life in service to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this be only for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in us and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember that the great sacrifice which he, when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. Y'all, may we see whatever step 
God calls us to participate in his mission, not just observe it, but to participate in it. Maybe it's giving up a lifestyle to invest financially. Maybe it's giving up Charlotte to move to Atlanta or overseas. Maybe it's giving up social comfort to talk to a lost friend about Jesus, whatever it is. Man, the one who sees the whole gospel, maybe in the fullness of the gospel and what Christ has done for us, would it not be a sacrifice, but a privilege? It is a privilege for us to join Christ in seeing the same joy that lay before him. May it lay before us. May it lay before us. Pray expectantly, act wisely. May it be our privilege, Mercy Church, to put Jesus first before all things. Here's how I want to close this. I want to close out this series. I want to just respond to the Apostle Paul here, and I want us to pray together. We're going to use this card. I'm going to give you, this is going to be a little action step moment. Step one is going to be, I want you to take a second. You should have a pen on your seat or nearby. Um, I want you to think of at least one name that you can write down on there. And take a second and write that down. And then we're going to pray together. We're going to break up into groups of two and three. And we're just going to pray, God, would you save my friends? God, would you save my family members? God, would you save? I believe. Help my unbelief. Maybe that's what you need to pray. But I can't stand up here and tell you to pray expectantly and us not pray expectantly. So we're going to pray expectantly. We're going to take a couple minutes to do that. So I'm going to give you now... Five seconds to identify your prayer buddy, but this is important. Some of you are not ready to pray with other people. We didn't know that was because you're brand new to church. You're like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. So when I say get your prayer buddy, if you're like, no, I'm not ready for that, you immediately look at your feet, okay? That is, that's the mercy cue that you're going to pray alone today, okay? And we're good with that, all right? We help everybody take their next steps, whatever that is. All right, with that said, you have five seconds to find your prayer buddy. Ready, set, go. Three one thousand, four one thousand, five one thousand. All right, I'm very proud of you all. Um, now, I want you to take the next couple of minutes. All three of our campuses. I will close this prayer time praying for all of us. Um, our worship teams are going to get in place while y'all are praying. Don't let that distract you. Any of our campuses. Um, let's spend the next couple of minutes just asking God expectantly. God, would you save and would you give me the courage and the joy to be looking alert for what you might be doing? You pray as God leads.
All right, Mercy family, would you stand and let's pray together. Maybe even with our hands open. Father, we ask that you would save. God, will we be a people that pray expectantly, alert, anticipating? Spirit, would you convict us of the skepticism that wants, the enemy wants to reign in our hearts when it comes to believing you're still working? But we believe, Father, help our unbelief. We believe that you are still working. We believe you have the power to save and the desire to do so. A lot of names represented in this room being lifted up by your children to a good God who loves, who loves the lost. So would you save, Father? Help us to pray expectantly over these next 40 days. Help us to act wisely, prioritizing our time, looking for what you might be doing among the lost. Give us courage in those moments, the seemingly small moments that we might speak about the hope of Christ. We pray now for the folks you're drawing to yourself. Would Easter be a celebration of the move that you have made? God, don't let us put a period where you've put a comma. Let us believe that you are working still. We commit our friends, our family to you. We ask God move in a way that you and only you will get the glory. Prayed in Christ's resurrected, holy, reigning name, we pray. Amen.